Daniel Torres. Welcome to the, the Making Board Podcast. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Making Forward. I am here with my good friend and fellow maker, Chris. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing okay, and yourself? Oh, I couldn't be better at this moment. This is, this is exciting. <laughs> I still have nerves. Yes, I'm excited too. We've been talking about this for some time, and... You know, it was great where, you know, I was sitting there talking about how we need to do something like this. And you're like, hey, I've been wanting to do something like that. And it, it's finally come together. Yes, exactly. And about a year in the making, we're finally doing this. So first off, uh, let's introduce ourselves to our audience. My name is Daniel. I'm originally from Southern California, east of Los Angeles, Inland Empire area. I am currently recording this in Fresno. I've lived up here for quite some time. I don't live up here at the current moment. I'm just visiting. I've called this place my home for the past 12 years. And Chris, how about you? So, I I'm Chris. Funny enough, also from the Inland Empire. But I moved up to the Fresno area. I'm currently in Lemoore, but I spend most of my time in Fresno. And it's kind of funny because, again, I'm from the Inland Empire, he's from the Inland Empire, and yet we both call Fresno home. It it just, it's crazy to work out that way. And the reason why we want to disclose that we live in Fresno is, this is kind of the story of how we kind of got to know each other through up here. Uh, we are both members of a makerspace called Idealworks. But if I keep uh, talking about that, I'm technically putting the cart in front of the horse. So what is the reason why we're doing this podcast, you're probably wondering. Well, the main reason is on the internet there is so many different podcasts, and particularly maker podcasts that we have seen, at least that I have seen in particular. And it's apparent that those podcasts are great if you're already a maker. There's not that much content out there for anyone who is would be at least curious about the maker movement and some people would say what is the maker movement well that's what our podcast is here to bring to light so here at making forward we kind of made the objective to say you know let's talk about what the maker movement what is a maker what the maker movement is how much it has impacted uh, today's world, and where is it going from here. And also, we hope that this podcast will inspire you to kind of take that plunge to maybe experiment, make something yourself. You don't have to have a PhD. You just need to have the curiosity. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with our episode question that I have, and I'm sure it, it's a very simple question, but an essential question in order for this conversation to start. Chris, let me ask you, what exactly is a maker? What a maker is, and it's like, what is an artist? Uh, in my opinion, it's kind of like everybody is actually a maker, whether they realize it or not, just like everybody's an artist, whether they realize it or not. A maker is someone who likes to take something from their mind and make it a reality. Whether it be 
a they're writing a story, whether they are making dinner, whether they're making a leather-bound copy of the Lords of the Ring that's nicely, intricately designed and carved, or someone who casts uh, an iron statue. A maker is someone who takes a thought and makes it into something. With that kind of a definition, it's pretty easy to become a maker. With anything from uh, making something out of raw material, such as metal, wood, or even clay, to something as basic as uh, making something in your kitchen. In, in my opinion, yeah. It's that easy to be a maker. Well, perfect. And, and just like being an artist, everybody is born a maker. A lot of times we forget that and lose that as we get older. And it's easier than most people think to get back to it. We're usually our biggest obstacle in becoming a maker or becoming an artist thinking that we're not when we are naturally makers and artists and that. Well then, that's that's pretty awesome. And honestly, that that is kind of what I've uh, thought uh, to be a maker. The first time I ever heard the term maker in the context of the maker movement, I guess, uh, would have been actually not when the quote-unquote maker movement started to pick up steam, which was roughly 10 years ago, maybe a little, maybe a little over 10 years roughly. ago. Roughly. I started to hear the term maker fairly recently, like maybe five years ago, or probably when I started going to IdeaWorks. That, that's probably when I started actually hearing the term maker. Mm. And I, I didn't think that much about it. I thought, okay, maker is a person that makes stuff. But it, it is so much more. It's a very simple description, but a very in-depth description at the same time. Yeah, I'll be honest. I kind of giggle every time, like, oh, the maker movement started about 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, that's right. The movement started 10 years ago because my entire upbringing has embraced the maker movement before the maker movement was a thing. My, my family was very encouraging. The, you, you talk about the first time you went to IdeaWorks and it's like, I went in there and I had already had experience using the tools. And it's like, well, when did you learn how to use all this? I don't even remember because I learned it that young. Both sides of my family was all about being independent and knowing how to do things for yourself. And that just kind of went hand in hand with the maker movement. Right. We kind of went ahead here. We, we're we starting, we're actually in the question, we're kind of answering the question, what is the maker movement? Which is perfectly fine. This is a perfect flow to uh, our first episode. Yeah, more more on the maker movement. Like, uh, what, what do you think, like, the impact has been uh, with how... The maker movement has kind of introduced itself and ultimately has become a pretty significant part in our culture today. And maybe it's uh, not as significant as what other people may think, but it's starting to head in that direction, I, I feel. Especially after... Well, sorry, especially especially after... Especially after the COVID. Exactly. exactly. And, and, in fact, I, I think... As, as much as COVID has caused so much suffering and so much other bad things, I also think it has been the spark that is really igniting the maker movement in a way that most people never even considered. Because with the shortages, with just people being stuck at home, you're finding people starting to reconnect with who they are deep inside and what their needs are, and we have an innate need to be makers. 
and, and with the COVID and all these things where with all the entertainment being killed away, uh, we're having to reconnect with what's really matters, what's really important. And you're starting to see people turn to the maker movement. People want to learn skills. People are wanting to be able to make their own things with their own hands and, and feel like they're contributing to the world. Exactly. That's what I feel as well. And especially... Yeah, not to kind of downplay anything on here. Like a lot of different forums and social media has also kind of gotten into uh, accelerating the maker movement and making it more widespread. I see a whole bunch of stuff on Instagram of you know how to make uh, you know something out of what I I'm uh, particularly a, a woodworker. I do a lot of stuff with wood, but I I'm curious enough to know to make other things out of different mediums such as metal such as leather i i am curious enough to get out of my comfort zone as far as that but uh, back over to what i was originally going to say because of covid we kind of had almost a uh, a slight uh, call and i say this loosely a call to arms with making face coverings and face shields and that a lot of that oh the funny part is you say loosely no i fully call it a call to arms <laughs> i mean i mean when COVID when COVID hit in fact i i think the entire movement felt it as a call to arms i was even discussing this the other day with someone about 3d printing before COVID, 3d printing was still kind of a, a loose hobby people knew about it but most people wouldn't think about going and buying a 3d printer when COVID hit all of a sudden, you saw people buying 3D printers in record numbers to print face shields for the community. And, and so, yes, I felt that the COVID and the personal protective equipment was a call to arms to the maker movement. And the maker movement took that and ran with it. I know I spent the first three months of COVID going to work and then coming home and just spending the rest of the time making face shields. Yeah, and I know of other people such as another space uh not the one that we are part of but the i'll, I'll go ahead and uh we'll, we'll give a shout out to root access yeah. which i'm also a member of uh and why we focused on the face shields root access were focused on the face masks yes and there was actually collaboration where members of ideaworks actually did so face or the uh, face masks and delivered them to root access and members of root access printed face shields and delivered them to us so uh, even with different spaces we came together as a community to answer the call of arms and didn't go like, oh, you're root access, you're different, or idea works were different. No, we came together and answered the call together as a community. Yeah, and I thought that was absolutely beautiful to see two different spaces collaborate together to actually do something that great for the community. And again, we're only we only know about this in Fresno. There are other places across the country that have done this even uh stay-at-home moms you know who know how to sew any anybody can oh do there, this. there was there was there was a faction of women who actually sewed like five thousand face masks between all of them and it was just amazing having all these makers uh put in their time put in their energy i mean we're having the world fall apart around us and we have people taking what little energy they have and contributing it to the community. Absolutely. That that was amazing, and I hope to continue to see that energy even past this pandemic. One of the 
people in charge of IdeaWorks were also part of the Nation of Makers Facebook group. And you are seeing almost all the communities out there contributing to this over-moving thing where you're starting to see everybody start to uh, coordinate. Maker Makerspaces across the country are starting to ask each other for help and say, hey, how are you able to manage this? We're struggling with this. And you're seeing a lot of that that tribal mentality where that you should just, we're just going to do our own thing and not reach out. We're just going to be us. You're seeing that start to melt and it becoming a, a whole community and not just droplets of community. Exactly. And I guess this is actually a pretty good segue into our third question about uh, what is a makerspace since we're, we're pretty much there already. So let's uh, dive more into like what, how did makerspaces come to be? What are they? So makerspaces, the best analogy I, I use is a gym. Because most people are familiar with a gym where you go and you work out. And a gym is a building where you have a bunch of the big expensive tools that you normally wouldn't buy yourself. You wouldn't even have space for in your house. A bunch of people got together, got buildings, made up all this stuff. So that way, if you were a big enthusiast in working out, you could go use all the special equipment You'd have the space, you'd have people who knew how to use the equipment that you normally wouldn't know how to use, and get it where you could be the best you. And a makerspace is kind of the same way, but instead of it being workout equipment, it's crafting tool supplies. So most of them are like community workshops. Like at IdeaWorks, we have a four foot by eight foot CNC router table. Oh, that is a great machine. It is not something I would ever buy for myself because I wouldn't even have a spot to put it. But it is pretty big. <laughs> it, it is big. There's maintenance involved in it. I mean, the machine itself is four foot by eight foot, but then you have to have the space around it. You have to have the dust collection system. Uh, you have to have the, the computer and the power. And practically for me, I would, again, I don't have the space in my house for that. So I would never go and do it myself. But because we have a community center where you have multiple people using it and we have the space, we got a four foot by eight foot CNC router table. So now I have the ability that if I wanted to, I could go buy a piece of wood or foam, throw it on the table, throw in some G-code and CNC out one of those nice huge batleths that, you know, it would take me a long time to carve that by hand. And, but I could throw it up on the CNC uh, five hours later, it would be done. It would be great. It just needed a little bit of sanding. And this is kind of where makerspaces come into play is it's a community workshop like a gym where you can have access to the big fancy tools that you would never buy for yourself for so many reasons. And it gives you the opportunity to do more than if you weren't there. Yes, I totally agree on that. I Really what made me want to... Just to let everyone know, I've known about IdeaWorks since it started, but I was never a member of it until far later on down the line. And mostly for that was at the time when it started, I thought, oh, this is a really good concept, but I don't really have a need for it. I don't, at that time I was busy with school and other stuff, so I didn't really have the time to really tinker or make anything but as time got on what got me into it was i decided well i wanted to take up woodworking because that's 
I I knew woodworking growing up. My dad has a wood shop in his garage. So when I was growing up, I I'm very familiar with all the essential tools like the table the table saw, the bandsaw, miter saw, etc. As I started making stuff, simple stuff out of wood, I thought to myself, you know, it would be really nice if I had a table saw, but I don't have the money and I don't have the space. Then I remembered, you know, I think it's time for me to start looking at IdeaWorks and possibly getting a membership. So on New Year's Eve, 2017 or 2018, I cannot remember. It was New Year's Eve. I sent in, I filled out the application, sent in the first month deposit, the uh, subscription fee, and immediately I was accepted. After about two days, I went to the first members meeting of that year, and I never looked back since. It is an absolutely amazing space and this would be for any makerspace it just there there's so much stuff not only the stuff that you need but the stuff that you didn't think you needed until it was there well well see i think you're it's interesting because i knew about ideaworks when i moved up to uh the area back in 2015 now i kind of find it funny because i'm kind of like the reverse where i don't need the the workshop I'm more interested in having that access to the community. And I actually enjoy building the community as well. So I moved up here in 2015, immediately Googled, where's the nearest makerspace? And found Fresno IdeaWorks. However, due to budgetary reasons, I, I couldn't afford the membership. Because why? The membership itself is fairly low. I mean, it's very affordable. There's also the hidden costs. Because I, I would have to have travel, I would have to have food, I'd have to have money for the projects, money for the classes. And so realistically, I budgeted that it would be $200 to be part of this thing. Because again, once you factor in how much gas, because I, I live out of the area, I don't live in Fresno. So I have to drive to Fresno, and so I, I spend quite a bit of money in gas. And then there's the material costs. Metal isn't cheap. Wood's no longer cheap. Wood used to be affordable, and now it's, no, it's gotten it, fairly expensive. It's Yeah. It, I think more woodworkers are just going to reclaim wood at this point because of just how expensive it has gotten. Le- electronic stuffs are relatively cheap, but in themselves are not cheap uh, once you start factoring everything. So I knew that my budget would be $200 a month once I be- joined the maker community and that's about what I spend in reality. You know, that's not what it cost me to be part of the community. That's what it cost me to do what I do. And at the time, I didn't have the budget for that. My ex-wife struggled with doing a budget. And it wasn't until she left me on New Year's that I was able to shed some of that problem. And I waited a month to make sure that my budgets were balanced. And once I realized I had a, a balanced budget, I... Showed up to IdeaWorks, met Matt. Oh, uh, good Matt. <laughs> I, I I talked about it. I, I signed up that night and showed up the next day with some of my projects. And uh, the project I worked on at that moment was I, I had read about etching metal with salt water and a 9-volt battery. And so I 
bought a kitchen knife, took some duct tape, carved out the, the dragon pattern, and started etching uh, the knife with a 9-volt battery in salt water. The community's like, wait, what, what, what are you doing? That, that is really cool. That's that's how I joined IdeaWorks. I vaguely, I actually do remember, not vaguely, I do remember. I wasn't at the makerspace at that moment. I was at home doing something, but I, somebody posted it on the uh, group page. I forget whether it was Matt or Janelle, but one of them recorded what I was doing and posted. Yes, it, I looked at that and I said, that is awesome. And I'll admit, it took me a few months to get used to how things worked because why again my my family has embraced the maker movement since the beginning every makerspace has their own culture so it took me a while to get comfortable with the culture having just been like i was going through a divorce so i was rather timid as well but you know people like you talk to me and help me uh get used to the culture and, and I, I found a nice home at IdeaWorks, being a maker. Yeah, it was awesome to, when I first met you, it was, kind of like, at that time, I was a, a, a shop steward. I basically was uh, looking over, uh, every, making sure everything was going fine. If anyone had any questions, they came to me. And yeah, that's when I first met you. And honestly, just of how gung-ho you were to experiment and create, I thought, oh yes, you're... This is the place for you, and yeah, it's been uh, quite the adventure so far. You know, we, we now we're together talking about a podcast or talking on a podcast. Talking <laughs> on the podcast. Yes, no, it's it, it's now a reality, and it's also like we've been talking about it for so long. It's like no, now it's now it's an actual thing. It's no longer a concept; it's a reality. Yeah, it, it's uh, scary, fun, and just exciting all at the same time. And in fact, on that, that's even part of the thing about the community. I mean, we talked about all the tools, but the tools are only a fraction of what a makerspace is. Correct. Because you also have the community. Like, when I first joined IdeaWorks, at some point I was talking and I started talking about making vegan leather from SCOBY that is a byproduct of kombucha. And at the time, I was allergic to alcohol and couldn't drink, so the idea of even Doing that was kind of just like a, a pie-in-the-sky type of dream because where the hell am I going to get SCOBY to even try it? Two people are like, hey, no, that's a great idea. Oh, by the way, we have a community that actually makes our own kombucha, so if you need SCOBY, just let us know. And because of the community, being a community, I have a piece of leather in my workshop that is a piece of SCOBY that has gone through the tanning process and been turned to leather. So I have a piece of leather that did not come from an animal. And I remember seeing that. At first, I thought you were lying because it felt that <laughs> realistic. It was so... It, it felt so much like real leather. I thought this this had to have come from an animal. But you, you insisted it did not. Because we had Ryan... Ryan helped provide me with the SCOBY because he grows his own kombucha. And in fact, the one you saw was actually just a test piece. He went then, the one in my, my garage that I'm talking about, he went and made sure he got the SCOBY nice and thick, like super thick. And I put that through the tanning process. So it's not just this thin piece of leather like the one you saw. It's an actual like 
thick piece of leather. You know, it, it's like a 9 to 10 ounce piece of leather that was never part of an animal. And that was just freaking mind-blowing. And uh, a shout-out to Jim because, again, this is a whole part of the community is I talked about the concept, but getting the, the nuances, getting the procedures developed, that's where it's the difference between talking about something and doing it. Getting the SCOBY is a process in of itself. Most of the time when you hear about people making vegan leather from SCOBY, it's just taking that SCOBY, oiling it, and letting it dry, which isn't actually tanning it. So my concept is, what would, do, what would happen if you took that piece of flesh and put it through the tanning process like you would a hide? And I had not seen any information about anybody doing that. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I, I understand the theoretics on how to tan a hide, but that doesn't mean I can go and grab the materials and tan it. I don't know what the ratios are. I, I don't know how long you should do it. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, you take flour, sugar, and eggs, and you make a cake. It's another to know how much flour, how much sugar, how many eggs, how do you mix it together. You know, it's one thing to talk about making a cake. It's another actually doing it. And Jim actually went and found literature on how to do the tanning process that had the actual figures and numbers that I had spent months looking for and could not find. All I could find was overviews of how to do the, the tanning process but not actually how to do the tanning process. Again, you got that help by joining a makerspace. As you said earlier, a makerspace is kind of like the gym for people who want to make, but it is so much more than that. It really is a close-knit community of people that they see what you're doing, they are curious, you're stuck on a problem, they say, oh, I know how to get out of that so. how to do that and sometimes you you build synergistic relationships like uh, i've been trying to get into metal casting and and i was doing it well i was doing well i was doing stuff and then halfway through covid the fatigue started to really wear on me hmm. and i was slowing down and, and, and then the sun started to go away and my, my vitamin d problems started to show and i lost that momentum and then Sean's like, wait, wait, you have all the stuff to do metal casting? You just basically need a cheerleader? And he's like, I've been wanting to do metal casting. And he's he's all gung-ho and just I'm riding his momentum and his enthusiasm. And we've casted Wonder Woman's sword out of metal. And that's freaking amazing. Yeah, that is awesome. And yeah, the, the uh, people, other people's energy really is a huge contributing factor of how we kind of move forward. Because it, it's why it's important to have your own self-motivation. Having other people cheer you on can be very beneficial because there are days where you're just like, okay, I've been fighting with this problem for a week now and I keep hitting wall after wall and I'm frustrated and you just want to rage quit. But when you have a community coming up going, oh dude, that is freaking amazing. I am just inspired by the fact that you keep working on this project. I am looking forward to you showing us when you're done and teaching us how to do it. That kind of helps you get over that hump. That That is what uh, makerspaces have become. It's just a positive energy, a safe space for any maker to really go in. If, they're, if they have a problem, they can find someone to help with that problem. Or vice versa. They can go in, 
they're making something or even they see someone stuck on something and they say, oh, I know what to do. So if you need a suggestion, here is one. Everyone knows, at least in our makerspace, everyone knows we're none of us are professionals, which is which is beautiful because, you know, we we are we're all at different levels of, of, you know, whatever we do as far as uh, making is concerned. But we all still learn something new at the end of the day, even if it's something that we have done for a while. Such as, uh, uh, I mean, I guess a good example is uh, the uh, laser uh, engraving that we were doing yesterday. Yep. You technically knew more than me, (laughs) even though it may have been not by much. You still knew more than me about the machine, the software. And I, you know, I was basically trying to pay attention as much as I possibly could as to how you were doing it, uh, what to do to transfer the information from the computer to the the laser cutter. And we just started uh, engraving on a piece of wood that I had. And I thought, oh, it's not, it, it's burning it, but it's not the proper... Okay, let's be accurate with our terminology. Yeah, okay, we went, yeah. To ro- we, went to, we went to roster it. Roster it. And just burn the image on the surface, and we ended up, by happy accident, actually engraving it. Yes. It was just a happy accident that it ended up engraving. It wasn't intentional. In fact, when we were first looking at it, we were sitting there going, okay, it's not burning in areas that we want it to burn, so just, just keep cycling it, and that way we'll get it as dark as we want. And after a few cycles, we realized, oh, wait, it's actually engraving. It's The reason it's not burning is it's just completely obliterating that section. And it's staying white, but it's actually removing that material. And we've actually engraved and debossed the image into the wood. Which actually turned out to be cooler than had it just burned it. Exactly. And thank you for clarifying. That is uh, why it is perfect that uh, there is two people doing this podcast. Okay, so honestly, like we've uh, covered all three talking points that I wanted to cover for this episode, and one of the things that I want to say uh, for this last bit on this topic is, honestly, if anyone out there listening, if you've been a maker, or even if you've been a maker for a while on a certain medium either wood metal clay and you're just curious about something else the question is you know what's stopping you go and uh, experiment or go and see what it is that you're interested in doing whether it be blacksmithing or (laughs) wood turning or casting The, the thing i tell people is you'll never know what you're capable of until you try the, the, the Wonder Woman sword, the one that you're sitting there and you're still amazed with it. I'm like, when I when I first attempted it, the first attempt, I actually anticipating an utter failure. I expected that we were going to pour the metal in. It was just going to go everywhere. In fact, it's why I wanted to have someone help me with it because I was just picturing in my head, I was going to pick up that crucible and the metal was just going to go everywhere and I would even burn myself. You know, I was expecting complete and utter failure, but you know what? You'll never know what you can do until you actually try it. And again, I was expecting an utter failure. In fact, it it even failed at the very end. And yet, everyone still 
going, wow, that that's an impressive sword. It took all the detail you wanted, and you're ha- I'm even having to explain. Actually, it failed at the end, so we're having to redo it, and you can see right here where it failed, and people are like, I didn't even notice that until you pointed it out. Exactly. And also, I do want to go a little bit further from what I uh, just previously said. I did say if you're a maker, but also if you're not a maker, if you don't associate yourself as a maker yet. Uh, because honestly, this podcast is for you. Uh, it's meant for you to to kind of... We are that sign <laughs> that says, go and go and be curious, go and make. And it's easier than you may think. Just uh, look up on YouTube of any anything that you find interesting. Chances are it's oh, on YouTube. You, YouTube. YouTube is great these days. There, There's so much information out there. And, and again, don't be afraid to try. And, and I'm happy to have Daniel here because he can be the other person to be like, no, no, he's not. I, I'm the other side. I'm the observer to what he's talking about. I, I, I made, I saw a bit about how to make the mystery braid leather bracelet. So I pu- got some leather and I, I was crafting it and Daniel walked up. And I'm like, Oh, w- would you like to learn how to do this too? I, I, I found this uh, thing and I found it really interesting. And would you like to learn it with me? And afterwards he's like, well, how long have you been doing this? Because that you're pretty good at it. I go, this is literally my second one I've ever made. <laughs> Don't be afraid to try because for all you know, you could be amazing at it. And the only thing stopping you is you. Exactly. And people, like, even though we are slowly opening back up, the, the day that we are recording this is April 11th, 2021. So we're just, hopefully we're at the tail end of this pandemic. Uh, at least as far as uh, sh- uh, everything shutting down. Everything is st- starting to slowly open back up in certain parts of the country and in the world. Vaccines are rolling out. I got my first round of vaccines this week. Exactly. And I'm about, I'm going to get my vaccine here pretty soon. Uh, But what the point I'm trying to make is, you know, now that, you know, things are still slow, people are, some people are still sheltering in place. And even I think like now is the perfect time to see about, what it is that you want uh, that you're curious about what what it is that you want to start to make and honestly with things opening back up i encourage anyone to go online find your local makerspace and see if what it takes to join or see if they have a trial run or anything like that so that uh, you can kind of because if you surround yourself with uh, other people who uh, love to make it really is a positive space uh, to get the creativity juices flowing so okay we we've uh, done pretty good with this one we're this is a good stopping point but I as we're kind of closing out I I want to uh, ask you you know we want your feedback we're a brand new podcast and as you can hear we're at least me i'm kind of stumbling through this as i'm talking of with chris here uh but we want to know what you want to hear uh from this podcast and you can send your suggestions or even questions to our email which is keep making forward at gmail.com 
you know you you can send anything you can send a question you can send a you know what you want to hear uh what what topic you want to hear we're we're going to have a different array of topics uh throughout this podcast and there there is no stupid question if you don't know the answer it is not a stupid question exactly you know with this this podcast is a safe space with that uh chris is there anything you want to add on not that i can think of all right then uh then before we uh close out i just uh I kind of want to leave this uh, quote uh, for our listeners, just to kind of, kind of be the uh, the the bow on top of the present, or the the uh, cherry on top of the cake. There you go. And I think it fits fairly well with our first episode. And this is a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes uh, from Walt Disney himself. It is. We keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious, and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. Which, with 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 that quote, you say I always say people really need to watch the show Meet the Robertsons. It's a Disney thing, and it's almost in tribute to that quote. And it's such an underrated movie, and the message behind it is just keep moving forward. Exactly, and especially with the Maker Movement, it should be like the theme of the Maker Movement because. Like, the the main character, the whole point is he just keeps trying. Failure after failure after failure. It's the Thomas Edison. I didn't find uh, a thousand ways. I didn't fail a thousand ways. I just found 999 ways not to make a light bulb. Exactly. And I feel like I'm doing this with the, this outro. But that, but joke, joking aside, uh, we we will be back later. We don't... Uh, this is our first podcast. We don't know how often we're going to be doing this. We will try to do it on a bi-monthly basis. But until then, we, uh, we will be back. You will hear us again. And until that time, what we like to say around here, keep making forward. This has been the Making Forward Podcast. Starring Daniel Torres and Chris Shaw. Produced by me, Jason Vilches. Make sure to email us any comments or questions at keepmakingforward at gmail.com. Consider rating and reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Keep Making Forward.